2: What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, 17 blocks away from Madison Square Garden, right here in New York City. We got a bunch to cover. We've got Biden and the vaccines. But first, I want to talk about a little bit of voter fraud action that was brought to light. So... Massive. 78% of mail in ballots proved fraudulent. Judge orders election do over. This is a real story. This is not speculation. This is what happened in Mississippi when a judge ruled in favor of a new election following overwhelming evidence of mail in ballot fraud. Now, that's not me suggesting that, play the disclaimer. This is actual news. This is news coming out of Mississippi because we uh, had this election. And in the 64-page order by Judge Jeff Wheel, he's not only calling for a new election, but also finds evidence of fraud and criminal activity in how absentee ballots were handled and how votes were counted, plus the actions by some at the polling place, which, again, they consider to be criminal. Okay, this is originally reported in WCBI, and it's a CBS affiliate in Mississippi. The judge's ruling revealed that 60. Six of 84 absentee ballots, so that's nearly 79% of the ballots cast in the June runoff, were fraudulent. Now, the notary, Dallas Jones, responsible for authorizing the fraudulent ballots, testified that she notarized about 30-something ballots at one house alone. The investigation also found that 83 regular ballots were counted without being initialed by election workers. The court is of the opinion, this is a quote from the judge, The court is of the opinion there is probable cause that several individuals involved in the disturbances during election day at the polling precinct willfully and corruptly violated one or more of the above criminal statutes. The court will have leave and offer an appropriate remedy to authorities to determine whether or not the actions of Maurice Howard and Henry Randall and S. Nicholas Halliday amounted to prosecutable crimes. Well, would you look at that, folks? Now, again, this is just uh, one instance that was actually proven. You know, I I feel like I'm, I always make the mugging, because I think it's easier to make the mugging analogy. If somebody's getting mugged in New York City, there's a lot of people that just, you know, like, you know what, they mugged me, I didn't, I had $5 on me, I'm not going to go to the cops. And some people are like, I'm going to the cops. And the cops, you know, they've got piles of paper up to their ears and they don't always get to everything on time. But for the most part, I think if you have an allegation, you should take it seriously. So you look at something like this and you go, wow, look at that. People have been screaming about fraud. <clears throat> this is why I um, I always say we've just got to follow the facts. Just follow the facts and you'll see what happens. Now, this is what happened in Mississippi. The overall story that the media tried to perpetuate and push corporations and, and companies and all sorts of organizations to say, you know, there is no overwhelming evidence of fraud. By and large, and that's fine. That, I think that was never the case. There, it was always the case that they were saying there are multiple instances of isolated fraud in different unique places, which can amount to fraud at a bigger level not necessarily fraud that would uh, swing an election one way or another is the argument that was always made. So I, I say all of this because I really want to make the point that yes, of course there's fraud and everybody wants to beat up Attorney General Bill Barr. I, uh, and I'm, I'm not necessarily wanting to beat him up or wanting to defend him but what I will say is that Attorney General Bill Barr did say, sure, there's way more fraud than there ought to be in elections. And I agree with that. If you've ever worked in elections, you've seen this stuff. It accounts for, for what goes on. And it's definitely something we have to look at. Now, I'm also the same guy that's going to sit here and say, look, that doesn't mean every election is rigged and you can never win again. So please stop uh, crying yourself a river. Build yourself a bridge and get over it, right? As the saying goes, we can't do this. We can't sit here and say, well, what are we going to vote for? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're just going to, they're going to steal every, no, they're not, man. They're not. I don't believe that for a second. I don't believe that every candidate is, is worth going through those lengths for. Trump was. They wanted to beat Trump by hook or by crook. So anyway, that's the headline coming out of Mississippi right now. Now, in other news, we've got the... Democrats passing a bill to criticize the police. Of course, they uh, this new bill, it's designed to, uh, I guess, commemorate and correct the wrongs of the unfortunate killing of George Floyd. It calls for defunding of the police and it rejects any proposals to condemn anything that calls to abolish the police. So, I mean... This is, uh, they, they won't even stop people from trying to abolish the police. House Democrats, and this is in the Daily Wire, House Democrats passed a controversial police reform bill late Wednesday that critics argue would effectively defund the police by costing police departments across the country hundreds of millions of dollars that they say will force those departments to make cuts, deep cuts to their budget. Now, there was bipartisan support against the bill and only partisan Democrats support for it. What a surprise. The vote was initially passed with 219 Democrat votes and one Republican vote with 210 Republicans opposing it and two Democrats opposing it as well. However, the lone Republican that voted for it, Representative Lance Gooden of Texas, announced that he accidentally voted for the bill and that he changed his official record of the vote against the bill. So that was it. The guy slipped. Um, You know, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Nobody wants to defund the police. nobody in their right mind. Somehow, it's okay to be in your wrong mind when you're a Democrat and to say, yeah, and who needs police? And by the way, you can't have a Second Amendment, too. So not only do you not have the police, but you also, they kind of force you into this scenario where you're just, what kind of liberty does one have if you can't feel safe, you can't be free? There's no police. Now, this opens up the conversation to the larger issue. the what, Why are people defunding the police? Now, this has been a very, very slow and gradual approach. But if you ask people, you know, who are defund the police advocates, they can be very honest with you if you allow them to be. What do you mean? I'll tell you what I mean. Here's the thing. If you ask people, why do you want to defund the police? They might start with something like, well, there's disproportionate instances of police brutality against people of color. Now, when you start to argue and you use facts and numbers and data and whatever, sometimes they lose that argument because the facts just don't support what they're saying. There's, it's really not the case. So they've come up with a way to say, you know what, well, we only needed to get people in to, to, to b- get buy-in from people using inequity. The inequity of because I'm black, because I'm brown, I no longer have the same rights that other non-black or non-brown people have. And that's the, the beginning of this this grand farce but then they add to that with saying, well, the constabulary, the police in and of itself, this is a racial tradition that stems back to the overseers. And the only reason we had police was to keep slaves on plantations. And that became a new way for a new slavery. And while there may be a couple of crackpots that do believe that, and I mean crackpots like white supremacists that, that embrace that type of thinking, by and large, that's just not the case. You come to New York City, you've got black cops everywhere. So it begs the question, why are we always talking about these things? Well, this is what happens when you have representatives like Sheila Jackson Lee who was on CNN yesterday, saying that Republicans have engaged in a war on Black people, and not only is it that they want to defund the police, but they also want to stop votes. Right, they're trying to redesign how we vote. That HR one or blocking HR one, which is the bill that's their, you know kind of billing it as the new Voting Rights Act, this isn't anything other than something designed to allow Democrats to amass more power. So they say this is to increase your franchise, your ability to vote. However, none of us are really lacking in franchise, right? If if you can't go and vote, it's typically not because somebody's stopping you. It's because maybe you have a criminal background as a convicted felon or something like that. But for the most part... If you want to vote, you can. So their reasoning for making it easier or to increase access to free and fair elections is really saying we want to ensure that the safeguards that are there, like signature matching, voting on one day out of the year, election day versus election week or month. They're really saying let's eliminate all of these safeguards that normalize the voting process so it can be willy nilly and we can do whatever the heck we want. And there's no way of tracing it. And we've talked about that with chain of custody issues and whatnot. So Sheila Jackson Lee, she says that this is a war on black people. Check this out. The Supreme
0: Court hearing uh, arguments today that could uh, weaken voting rights in Arizona, major push nationwide to make it harder for people to vote. What does this mean, particularly for black voters?
4: Well, I think uh, tragically, uh, we have not had this historical opposition to our individual rights since before slavery uh, during uh, the Jim Crow days and of course the harshness of the 1960s. The tragedy of this is that an entire party, the Republican Party now, is committed to voter suppression, committed to avoiding the opportunity for votes. Uh, Donald Trump laid out the plan at the CPAC by saying he only wants one day for voting. Uh, They don't want to have opportunities for absentee ballots. Uh, They don't want to have the opportunity for extended voting, same day registration, all of the things that empower young people. And yes, people of color and African-Americans. This is a war on black people as it relates to voting. And unfortunately, it seems the Supreme Court is now going to participate with its seemingly intended decision to narrow the only remaining aspect of the Voting Rights Act, Section 2, Mm -hmm. which we are trying to fix with the John Robert Lewis legislation in H.R. 4. This is a fight for democracy, a fight for justice and an opportunity or desire or need to restore the voting rights of people of color and particularly black people. We will not allow this to happen under the Biden administration and the Democratic House and Senate. It's tragic that Republicans want to take that stand because they can't win fairly. They can't draw people to their positions. They are now trying to suppress the vote
2: now trying to suppress the vote. You see now this is the art of this. Now I got to tell you I do believe that some of these people they really do believe what they're saying. I think Miss Jackson Lee has bought this Kool-Aid, drank this Kool-Aid, she buys into this idea. But I have to look at this through the lens of logic and think to myself, are we truly eliminating people's ability to vote? Like this questioner, Don Limong on CNN, Don Limong says how does this particularly affect black people? Now, my question would be, why are we asking how it particularly affects any people? Like, doesn't, doesn't that ring a bell that when you vote, there's no prerequisite to, excuse me, sir, are you black, white, Asian? It doesn't matter where you come from. The thing is, the Democrats truly inherently believe that People of color are not as good. They are the white supremacists. They believe that whites know how to use the Internet better. Even Joe Biden thinks you can't register to vote on your own. You don't believe me? You remember when he said this last week, right? Check this out. A lot of people don't
5: know how to register. Not everybody in the community, in the Hispanic and the African-American community, particularly in uh, uh, rural areas that are distant and or inner city districts know how to use, know how to get online to determine how to get in line for that COVID
2: vaccination. How is that not scandalous and outrageous? Hold the presses. Somebody call security. He got hairy legs. He said, we don't know how to use the Internet. Nobody cares. Everything's all, you know, well, Jackson Lee saying there's a Republican war on black people when black people in the last election showed a larger percentage of increase for Republicans than they did for Democrats. Yeah, sure. Democrats have the majority, but the increase was way bigger for Republicans. More black people opted to go Republican than they opted to go Democrat. Democrats are losing black votes. The facts don't support what they're saying, so they straight up lie in your face. Now, Ali Velshi, he's the, uh, the guy that said, fiery yet peaceful, mostly peaceful, while the building was literally burning down behind him. He's the MSNBC guy. He says, racism has defined America since its founding. Now, what I think is interesting is when you can come out and say that racism is definitely a part of our history, but when you come out of your face and you say that it's defined America... This is where we have this fundamental uh, fundamental disconnect. This is a disagreement. I can't say that we are fundamentally racist in America. I really just can't. How is it that one of the toughest businesses to get into in America is is the media business. And here I am talking on a microphone, WABC, the strongest talk radio signal in America on commercial radio in New York City, the toughest media market to get into. And I happen to be a brown guy, Puerto Rican guy, and I mention it at least two or three times in every broadcast just to make this point so that if anybody thinks that I'm a white guy, they won't so that they know that it's not racist. This is not a racist system. The reality that a bunch of white European guys started this country is a truth and it's not a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing that white people started America and that more people came. And then, you know, the conquistadors from my family's ancestry ended up conquering Cuba and Puerto Rico. And henceforth, you have my dad and my mom and then me. And in 1955, my dad comes to the Bronx and then to Brooklyn. I mean, that's just how it works. I don't understand. I can't wrap my head around how how racism is what defines America. America is not defined by one single thing, let alone that as a single thing. But Ali Velshi. He wants to say that racism defines America. Check this out.
1: Racism is something that has defined the United States since its very founding. In fact, it infects nearly all facets of American life, like health care, about which we just heard. But it also affects our politics and our economics. The false belief that progress and prosperity for people of color comes at the expense of white people has helped prop up racist systems for generations. This zero-sum theory is what author Heather McGee tackles in her new book, The Sum of Us, what racism costs everyone and how we can prosper together. In it, she examines the self-destructive bargain of white supremacy and how much we've lost economically as a country due to racism in terms of a dollar amount. One of the things that a appeals to me uh, about your book is the discussion that you have about how people, often white people, or people who have power and privilege in society, often make decisions that are not in their economic interests or work against their own prosperity because they feel like giving other people, in this case black people, certain rights and privileges will take away some of their own.
2: So that's Ali Velshi. Now, he's setting it up to bring in the author, uh, Ms. McDonald, uh, Ms. McGee, excuse me, Heather McGee. Now, she says that this idea that government is on the side of people of color, and that's why there's such an anti-government skepticism and suspicion amongst the majority of white voters. I got to say, you're going to hear her argument, but you tell me, does she make any sense at all? Uh, is the reason that we are a racist society because white people are inherently afraid of other people? I mean, there may be some white people that are afraid of other people, but to me, that's just like people believing the hype uh, the same way there's people afraid of, of all sorts of stupid things. But you listen and decide. Check this out.
6: To stay on the issue of, of health which you've covered so well, Ali, um, you know. White people are actually the largest group of the uninsured and yet ever since the Affordable Care Act was signed by our first black president, the majority of white people have disapproved of the pretty modest idea that is Obamacare. And there's a huge correlation between racial resentment against black people and the Southern, in most cases, states, and also Maine, which is the whitest state in the nation, uh, refusal to expand Medicaid under Obamacare. So it's this idea that government is on the side of people of color. And that is why there's such a fierce anti-government skepticism and Suspicion among the majority of white voters, Uh, the majority of white voters who have voted for the Republican Party for president. I'll remind you ever since Lyndon Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act.
2: So there you have her defense of this. And I'm going to say this is how people get by doing this stuff, because they're able to conflate uh, fact and fiction. So I'm, I'm not going to sit here and be an apologist and say that there is zero racism ever. It's not what I'm saying. And if that's what you're understanding, you're misunderstood. Because she's saying that there is racism in the South. Yeah, you bet your bottom dollar there's racism in the South. I spoke with somebody the other day in Georgia, black man. And he tells me, look, I went to school. I'm a dentist. Uh, I've done well. I'm, I'm retired, you know, and I've had a good life. But that doesn't change the fact that on, on certain days of the week when I drive into town, There are people marching in white hoods. The KKK still gathers publicly in some of the the, the outskirts in the more rural areas. And I thought to myself, well, that's kind of crazy. I mean, of course, it's their right. It's free speech, uh, the same way everybody else has a right to to assemble, whether it's in the name of hate or in the name of love. But it doesn't negate the fact that these people are clearly uh, hateful, racist people and should be denounced and disavowed. The KKK sucks. And nobody should support that. That exists. Racism exists. I've been a party to conversations where I'm at a table where people come and say hello to everybody but me. I usually think it's because I'm a conservative. But I realize that sometimes race may play a part in that. So I'm not going to stick my head in the sand and say there's no racism. I've seen that stuff happen. What I am going to say is that the systemic racist notion that everything is inherently racist and that America is defined by racism because we once uh, had a southern economy that thrived on slave labor, I think it's false. It's false to say that that's the only thing that defines America. That's a horrible time in America. It's horrible. I, I don't think there's anybody that thinks it's good. And those that do think it's good are also horrible. But we also can't take the horrible things in life that have happened and say that they're happening today and that they're happening at the level that they happen and that we have not made progress and that there wasn't um, a movement led by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. And I have a friend, a black friend, who told me, why you always got to bring up Martin Luther King? I said, well, because that's when I was a kid, that's who we had. We had King and then Jesse Jackson and then Sharpton. These were the civil rights leaders that were fighting for equality. Equality of skin color, right? Because we're Americans. And this is why I say it doesn't matter what color you are. We all bleed red, white, and blue. And that's why I think what what makes us similar as Americans, what binds us together, is way more important and significant than what separates us. Keep it locked right there. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America.
1: This is America.
2: He's got the best head of hair in podcasting. This is America with Rich Valdez. Bienvenido, America. Welcome back. And the hoax is still on. And by the hoax, I mean everything that comes out of Joe El Baboso Biden's mouth with respect to the vaccine and all of this coronavirus stuff, the mask debacle, to mask or not to mask. Now, here's the thing. So America's open for business, at least in the four states that have opened them up, of course, Texas, and uh, that was followed by Oklahoma and Mississippi. And one more that's escaping my mind, but it's interesting because now, as that's happening, a couple of weeks ago, Joe Biden says, "You know what? We will impose fines. You know these federal fines if you violate mask mandates on federal properties, et cetera." And now the the latest to join the uh, cacophony of criticism is Michael Moore. You guys know Michael Moore. He's the very svelte, slim, slender filmmaker, always very neatly coiffed and groomed, and he now says that the state of Texas is going to be taken to the woodshed after its announcement earlier this week that it would be dropping its COVID-19 mask mandate and allowing businesses to fully operate at 100%. So here's a tweet from Moore. He says, we hear you. We didn't want to be part of, We you didn't want to be a part of our electrical grid, and now you've removed your mask mandate and are allowing, allowing large crowds to gather. We hear you. Covid is a hoax, so you don't need our precious vaccine. We'll send it to people who are saving lives by wearing masks. Wow, what a uh, profound and astute commentary from the great Michael Moore. No, thank you. Anyway, that's Michael Moore. He says that that's the uh, it's you know it's the end all be all wear a mask. Now, listen, I'm not an anti-masker. I try not to wear one as often as I don't have to, but. It, it's still um, a thing, right? You can't get on a subway without one. You can't get on a bus without one. I get it. I don't like wearing masks principally because A, in addition to my amazing American Puerto Rican um, immune system that loves to fight coronavirus... I uh, get allergies from wearing that thing on my face and it gets into my nostrils. My voice is deeper now because I had to wear it so much at CPAC and I'm still like clearing my throat in between every segment here. And no, it's not COVID. It's called mask. Mask allergy and I hate it. Anyway, we've got... Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC.
0: No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500, or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at woodhousebuickgmc.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade.
2: A couple of comments that I want you to hear from a few different people. Right, Number one would be, Joe Biden, Joe El Baboso Biden, they call him the president of the United States. He is bashing Texas, saying it's a big mistake for Texas to end the COVID restrictions. Lifting the mask mandate is, quote, Neanderthal thinking. That's right, Joe Biden says Texans are Neanderthals, those of us that want to live our lives with just hair on our face, like a beard. We are Neanderthals. That makes sense, I guess, right? The beard, Neanderthal. Anyway, listen to Joe El Biden. Check this out.
5: I think it's a big mistake. Look,
2: I hope everybody's
5: realized by now, these masks make a difference. We are on the cusp of being able to fundamentally change the nature of this disease because of the way in which we're able to get vaccines in people's arms. We've been able to move that all the way up to the end of May to have enough for every American, to get every adult American to get a shot. And the last thing, the last thing we need is the Neanderthal thinking that in the meantime, everything's fine, take off your mask, forget it. It still matters. I carry a card in me, I don't have it, I put it on my desk. As of last, as of yesterday, we had lost 511,874 Americans. We're going to lose thousands more. This will not occur. We'll not have everybody vaccinated until sometime in the summer. We have the vaccine to do it. Getting a shot in someone's arm and getting a second shot, you're going to take time. And it's critical, 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 that they follow the science. Wash your hands. Hot water. Do it frequently. Wear a mask and stay socially distanced. And uh, I know you all know that. I wish the heck some of our elected officials knew it.
2: So Joe Baboso Biden says that you're a Neanderthal if you, in fact, follow the science. What is it that he thinks that these governors of these states did? They woke up one day and they said, you know, we feel that... uh this is just, no, they looked at their neighboring states, looking at the regional impact that the virus has had both on on the people by way of public health, by way of the economy, and they measure the infection rates and they say, you know what? Infection rates are at whatever level they've determined because we have this thing called sovereignty and they decide we're going to follow the science. There are guidelines that say when you can reopen and whatnot and they've imposed these, these guidelines on themselves and on their constituents on the residents of their respective states. So they decide- You know what? We're opening and we realize, it's kind of like saying if you're opening for one thing in New York but not in New Jersey and being that I can get it, I I live four miles away from Times Square but I live in New Jersey. So it's right across the river. This is one of those things where states have to have a little bit of communication and I understand that. So you have states that are, you know, around the the Texas area that are saying, you know what? Yeah, our infection rates are low. You know, in Oklahoma, I spoke with a teacher that said, we never closed our schools, and yet they're not leading the nation. They're not Andrew Cuomo. They're not New York. They're not Gavin Newsom. They're not California. They're not Phil Murphy. That They're not New Jersey. Some states have been able to manage this a lot better. And guess what? Yeah, they happen to be led by Republican governors. So I think there is something to be said with one's worldview, one's view of how, you know, your worldview informs how you look at politics and how you look at policy and how you look at a lot of things. And that informs the decisions that you're going to make. So when you have... These guys that are just, you know, fear and panic and power and they love to be on TV. And listen, nothing wrong with loving to be on TV. I I never met a camera I didn't love. But I'm also not going to put my love for for being a communicator above the will of the people or the well-being of the people that I'm sworn to protect. This is why I think they say follow the science. They, in fact, follow the science. And then the president criticizes them for that. But the conversation doesn't end there. It continues because Steve Adler uh, from Austin, Texas, he's the mayor there. He goes on MSNBC yesterday and he says, I hope our community ignores the governor and focuses on masking up because he's not guided by science. Listen to this.
5: Uh, but to take away the mandate now sends a very mixed message. It's going to confuse people. Uh, it, it, it removes uh, that that incentive uh, that, that might be necessary to, to get this done. Uh, I just hope our community uh, basically ignores the governor uh, and, and focuses on, on masking. At the very beginning of this process, he told us he would be guided by the science and the data. He's now broken that promise. The science and data is clear. And now it's up to us.
2: Now, this comes on the heels of President Joe Baboso Biden making the announcement that he had somehow miraculously in his 45 days of hiding and not holding a single uh, one, you know, straight on press conference with the press corps, that he and his team worked to move heaven and earth to get a shot in the arm for every American by May. He says that the following day, the governors say, great, we're open for business. We're following the science. And in effect, I would say following Joe El Baboso Biden's lead on this, saying that we're going to have all of these vaccines lined up, hundreds of millions of them. So how is it somehow their fault that we're misleading the people and, you know, kind of going off script here? The problem is they don't want Other states to go, well, hey, look, Texas did it. You you look at Florida, and Florida has some restrictions in place. It's not the wild, wild west. But guess what? There's life in Florida. There's sure commerce in Florida. People are still doing what they do in Florida. And, you know, you kind of work with this. You follow the science. The infection rates are lower in Florida, even though it has 2 million more people than New York does, than New York. Lo and behold... Who knew that if you followed the science and didn't abandon your principles of the free market and don't abandon the fact that you have to help the people so that they can work. You know, it's funny. I was in Florida and I went to a couple of restaurants every night I ate in a different place. And every night there were waitresses there. Wow, look at that. And there were people that cooked the food and people that answered the phones in these places and people that were earning money because we were there for this big conference. If we weren't there, they wouldn't have made all that money. They perhaps may not have a job if it wasn't for Ron DeSantis imposing the, the laws, uh, the, well, I should say the restrictions that he imposed as governor for the state of Florida. This to me is a very big thing because I look outside, there's a huge window. It's got to be about uh, 10, or 12 feet uh, in width. And probably it's like a square, so it's probably even the same height. And you look through this 10 by 10 or 12 by 12 window, and I'm looking at Third Avenue in New York City. And I see spotty car traffic, not a lot of cabs. That means a lot of people aren't doing that. The cabbies are out of work. Huge restaurant, a New York icon. I'm not going to mention which one, but it's a huge, famous, been in the movies. It's been closed for months. We've been in this location for a year. It's been closed. You tell me, how are people supposed to survive in life if you take away their ability to earn a living? And that's what the government in New York has done. That's what the government in New Jersey has done. And it's exactly not what the governments in these states that are embracing opening up and moving forward and following the science. But that doesn't stop the left. The left will always continue because what they like is the power. They like the idea. They can say, listen, you stay home, we'll give you some money. You stay home, we'll send you a little check. I think truth is people don't want your check. They just want to do their own thing. People want to be able to work and there there's something to be said about independence. You could tell somebody, hey, listen, I'll cut you a check and you do what you got to do. Or you could tell somebody, listen, you, I could give you an opportunity to work and you could earn a living. I think they, they really much uh, more appreciate that. But... Michael Shear, New York Times White House correspondent, he's at the White House press briefing yesterday, and he calls out, Jen, P- circle back Pasaki with facts after the Biden administration takes credit for the vaccine deal. Now, what's interesting is, yeah, Biden was out there, we're doing everything, we're doing everything we can. We all know that Trump did all this stuff. It, ask anybody on any street, who's the wheeler and the dealer? Who's the businessman? Joe Biden or Donald Trump? I think most people will say Trump, even though Biden's been cutting deals with the Chinese and the Ukrainians for forever and a day. But I still think when it comes to an actual business deal, when it comes to actually having a job that's not funded by the government, Donald Trump still takes the cake. So Michael Shear he uh, calls out Jen Psaki. back Pasaki. I want you to listen to this exchange. Check this out.
7: On the timing of of the administration's efforts to help pull this deal together, Mm -hmm. you said that it was within, I think, the last few weeks. Is that what you had said? Um, We wrote our first story at the New York Times about a possible partnership between Merck and J&J for manufacturing on January 21st. That was when it published. So, And my understanding is that talks between those companies have been in, in the works Before that, even in terms of sort of the corporate discussions between them. So, I mean, could you help explain how it is that the Biden administration deserves credit for bringing these two together when it looks like the discussions had been underway long before you guys got here?
3: Well, Mike, just to be clear, I'm talking about when it was finalized so that we could move it forward. Um, Of course, there are conversations between companies. But in terms of getting it to a point, and obviously the Johnson and Johnson vaccine was only approved last weekend, right? And we were waiting on the FDA to make the final approvals uh, of the vaccine. But uh, there's a difference between conversations and it moving forward, and the use of the Defense Production Act, uh, which is something this president and not the prior president uh, committed to invoking, uh, and also uh, the commitment to help upgrade the manual, or help get the manufacturing facilities to the place place where they needed to be in order to produce the vaccine. So uh, I'm only conveying what got it across the finish line. And I think it's clear uh, that that has only happened uh, relatively recently. But certainly the history of conversations between uh, Merck and J&J long before the J&J vaccine was even approved, um, you know, you, you certainly might have more information on than I do.
2: Yeah, no kidding. I think most people have more information than you do, Jen, pa- circle back, pasaki with your pa- stupid commentary that never, ever answers a question. At least this time, I think she was pretty straightforward in, in her roundabout, circuitous talk, talk about how she's not going to answer when saying, yeah, of course it was Trump that did it, but it wasn't Trump that did it because we came in and we did it and we're going to take credit for it. But it was Trump that did it because, you know, we said about actually putting the period at the end of the sentence. It doesn't matter who wrote the sentence. We're the ones that are going to finalize that. So now this is classic All right, Biden's trying to come in and take credit for everything that Trump did. I think whether you love him or you hate him, you really got to give Trump the credit that he deserves. And and this is because people from within the health bureaucracy, I had on this show, the former assistant secretary for health, uh, the Ash, the boss of Fauci, the highest medical officer that is in the United States federal government. Um, Up till recently, it was Admiral Brett Giroir. And prior to that, uh, it was Hoxell Garcia, who I had on this show. And Dr. Garcia, Admiral Garcia, he explained that this, and he was Dr. Fauci's boss when he was there. He says that this is an incredible feat that it's A, a safe one, that he'd be the first one to sign up for it, but B, he said that this, you know, amongst his colleagues and his peers, what Trump did was something they'd never seen. Now, his expertise as a doctor, both a medical doctor and a clinical researcher, is in clinical trials. So, I mean, you're talking to a guy that deals with clinical clinical trials, and he says that this is, you know, short of miracle, that they were able to push this along as fast as they did. How can I sit here and accept that in the five minutes that Joe Biden's been there, he somehow miraculously saved the world? Well, it's because they lie. And that's just the God's honest truth. They come in and they say there's no clear plan. They come in and they say we have no vaccines. Meanwhile, it's it's proven. Even the New York Times, right? The New York Times is saying, hold on a second. We had this stuff document that we published on the 21st. And you're saying that, you know, you made it happen. How could that have happened if we only published it on the 21st? It had to, the conversations had to have ha- Of course, you made the plan. Everything was done. It's like you're buying a house. You do all the deal. And then the final step is the closing. So what are you going to do? Show up to the closing and be like, yeah, I put this great deal together. Come on, dude. That's not how it works. The guy who put the deal together is getting the commission. That's just how it works in business. And this is what Joe Biden, I think, fails to realize or realizes and doesn't care because he lacks the integrity and the foresight to really pull a plan together. And of course, I'm no fan of Joe Elbabo So Biden, so I'm not going to sit here and defend him. But if he does something right, I'm going to say he did something right so far. Anything that he's saying is falling on deaf ears because I don't believe that he's doing things in the best interest of the United States. He seems to be doing things in the best interest of himself to really maintain a an establishment of bureaucracy that just continues to perpetuate the corruption that comes out of Washington, D.C. Keep it locked right there. We are just getting started. And straight ahead, a little bit of Andrew Cuomo, Essential Andy Cuomo from the Essential Andy Cuomo podcast. You don't want to miss this. You're listening to This Is America. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. He's making podcasting great again. This is America with Rich Valdez. What's up, America? Welcome back at Rich Valdez. At Rich Valdez on all the social media. And I want to thank everybody for checking in with us on social media, of course, and following us and you know interacting. But I also want to thank you guys for subscribing to the podcast and leaving a review. I've gotten so many five-star reviews from so many of you great listeners with great just commentary. And it means the world to us and those that produce the show. So keep it coming. We appreciate it. At Rich Valdes with an S on all social media, make sure you follow us and share it with your friends. It's you know a pretty short podcast, so hopefully it fits into your day somewhere somehow. Now we're talking about essential and Cuomo and the essential and Cuomo podcast. Now, of course, yesterday Governor Andrew Cuomo he uh, made his apology tour, put it out there for all to say. He said, "I'm sorry." Uh, I want to play some of what Cuomo said and what he did at the press conference in slow motion. Um, so we're going to play little tiny clips, uh, some of it that you heard, some of it that you didn't hear, because I think it's, it's fascinating the way he breaks it down. So here's Cuomo 1. He sounds like he's crying, and he's saying, I'm not resigning. I did something un- unintentional, and I apologize. Uh, I'm not going
7: to resign. I acted in a way that made people feel uncomfortable. It was unintentional. And I truly and deeply
2: apologize for it. Aww. In Spanish we say, Andita, ay bendita. We feel so bad for essential Andy Cuomo. Because apparently while he's so busy running the government and doing all these things that he does at the state as governor, he lacked the ability, to, the foresight... To say, you know, I probably shouldn't be grabbing girls by the face, kissing them on the lips, having hot dog contests and deep swallowing contests with these hot dog sandwiches or sausage sandwiches or whatever it was. And, you know, I mean, again, this might be something that's appropriate. If you're like a shock jock on the radio and you decide to do something like that, it may even help your career because of the press you get. But it's not good for you if you're the governor. And he's got to decide, is he some sort of talk radio host? Is he the next Howard Stern? Or is he... Essential Andy Cuomo, the governor. Now, of course, we heard it before, but I can't help but play it again. It, to me, it sounds like, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. I'm like, we've heard that somewhere before. And, of course, his political mentor um, went through uh, similar and was like, nah, it wasn't me, bro. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Okay, it was me. It was Yeah, I used the cigar. <laughs> yeah, no, it was me. It was My, I, thought, I didn't know what you meant by the word is. That's what it was. He literally said that. Depends on what you... Uh, how you define the word is. But anyway, Andrew Cuomo, number two. I never touched anyone inappropriately. It's just my way of greeting people. Some people, you know, like to grab them by the... I never touched anyone
7: inappropriately. You can go find hundreds of pictures of me uh, kissing people, uh, men, women. It is my usual and and customary way of greeting
2: as is in so many ethnic cultures. I mean, Puerto Ricans are the same way. Italians are the same way. It's a warm hug and a kiss. It's an embrace. That's that's uh, understood. And I understand that if he's going to try and hide behind that, I mean, maybe he's not hiding. Maybe that one's honest. I may give him the benefit of the doubt on that one. But number three, he says that, you know, crime is going up. Homelessness is up. People are leaving in droves. So don't look at me. I'm just hugging people because I'm Italian.
7: You also have New York City, which is in a very precarious situation. Uh, It's uh, teetering, to use a word. Crime is way up. Homelessness is way up. Uh, Many people have left New York City. We have to get New York City functional again, and safe again, and viable again. And we have to do that quickly.
2: Yeah, you got to do it quickly. Now, with respect to saying, uh, does he believe that there's light at the end of the tunnel? He says that he thinks uh, that that's one of the most critical moments in his opinion. And I have to say, I really hope there's light at the end of the tunnel um, for New York City, not so much for his sexual harassment deal.
7: The light at the end of the tunnel is in sight. We've had critical moments all through this period. But this is one of the most critical moments in my opinion.
2: Now, of course, you heard him say that he kisses hundreds of people. It was his father's way of greeting people, too. Number eight, he says, I kiss and hug people all the time. I was at an event last week, and I was kissing and hugging everyone. Now, I would say, did you call the mask police when you were kissing and hugging these people? Where are you socially distancing, sir? Well, listen to this.
7: I kiss and hug uh, legislators. I was at an event in Queens the other day. Uh hugged the pastors and the... the uh, assembly members who were there. So that is my way to do that.
2: Okay. So speaking of assembly members in Queens, uh, Assemblyman Ron Kim, he's from Queens. uh, I wonder, did you kiss and hug Ron Kim? What kind of hug? Was it a bear hug? Was it a hug around the, could it be confused as a headlock? I don't know. But apparently uh, Ron Kim was in tears on our air saying that, you know, he was in fear for his life because of the way you kiss and hug people. I don't know. Um, Call me crazy, but... Now he says that people were offended, he apologizes, he apologizes, he apologizes so much he says it like five times.
7: I could intend no offense, but if they were offended by it, then it was wrong. And if they were offended by it, I apologize. And if they were hurt by it, I apologize. And if they felt pain from it, I apologize. I apologize. I did not intend it. I didn't mean it that way. But if that's how they felt, that's all that matters. And I apologize.
2: You know, what's interesting is then he goes on to say, he finishes all of this stuff by saying, you know, look, we don't have all the facts yet. We don't have all the facts. You were there, bro. This is about you. How could you not have all the facts? You are the facts. If you're telling the truth, you tell the truth. Now, I understand that there's an investigation that's going to happen, but... You know, if somebody comes to me, hey, did you kill so-and-so? No, I did not. I can tell you, I did not kill so-and-so. I'm not going to say, look, I don't have all the facts yet. I mean, how does that sound? Did you do this? Well, listen, we don't have all the facts yet. But that is indeed what he said. Check this out. Number one.
7: Let's be clear on the facts. First, uh, we haven't gotten the facts. Uh, Let the attorney general do a review and let's get the facts. And that's what I said uh, in my statement to New Yorkers. I'm a former attorney general. I've been through a situation too many times where uh, everybody has an opinion because they read this, they read this. And then all of a sudden the facts come out and it's a different situation. So wait for the facts before you form an opinion.
2: Okay. Um, I mean, again, to me, makes no sense in the world. You yourself, sir, are the facts. You have your facts. You tell the truth the way it is. And you don't say, let's wait till they do what they got to do. I mean, it almost sounds like an implied threat. It's like, well, listen, listen. Hey, listen. You're hearing one side of the story. I'm not telling you my side of the story. But the attorney general, she's going to tell you the truth. Oh, yes, yeah, you're going to tell the truth. or I'm going to kiss and hug you like I kiss and hug Ron Kim. Right? And this is what, what how politicians do what they do. And it's wrong. It's never right. It's wrong. It's absolutely horrible. But- this is what happens, right? And this is how these guys go at it, one another, like de Blasio, like Cuomo. They they go at it with respect to beating each other up about the sexual harassment. And he says, well, you know, uh, he comes at you. He says, well, there's homelessness, there's crime, there's this, that, and the other thing. These guys are just, uh, to me, birds of a feather. They, they're each rooting for the demise of each other. And to me, it's just uh, that's not the politics we need. We don't need the politics of I'm going to get you till you're dead. We need the politics of let's just stand up for what's right for the people. Let's just do something right for the people for once. And this is why these things matter. It's always important to have integrity. It's always important to be honest. If we're not honest, what are we? We're Essential Andy. We're Bill El Bobo de Blasio. We're Joe El Baboso Biden. You can't sacrifice your integrity just for the power that may come with this office of whatever office these guys pursue and and maintain. We have to stand on something. We have to have something as a truth. That's why I always say when I quote Hamilton and I quote Sir Edmund Burke, and I say you have to stand for something because if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And I say that you have to do something because the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to do nothing. So do something. I don't mean start a war. I mean, start a cultural revolution, a culture war. Get involved in the culture war and push back. If you see something that's wrong, tell people, I think that's wrong, and here's why. Eng- engage the media, engage the institutions, take them over from the inside, exactly what they did to us. How do you think they took control of the colleges? It wasn't with the barrel of a gun. They went in there and they did what they had to do. Hasta la próxima. Until next time, America, I'm Rich Valdez, and this is America.
1: This is America.